In this present crisis, government is not the solution to our problem. Government is the problem. This is the I Spy Radio Show. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. Keeping an eye on big government. We the people tell the government what to do. It doesn't tell us. The trouble with our liberal friends is not that they're ignorant. It's just that they know so much that isn't so. And now, here is your host, Mark Anderson. Yes, yes, you say, I know there's corruption. But what can I do? No one is going to listen to me. I'm just one person. Sometimes that's all it takes like the one person who owned a computer repair shop. The main reason we know about Hunter and his father's shady business deals is the laptop. That one person did the right thing and turned it over to the FBI. Ah, yes, you say, but that one person was squashed by the many corrupt people in the FBI who sat on it. Except that one person didn't sit on it. He kept a copy of the hard drive, and when the FBI thought they'd killed it, he turned that copy over to Rudy Giuliani, who had it tested and proved it to be authentic. And look at that world of corruption, literally at the highest levels of government, the presidency, that one person opened it up for the world to see. One person could have easily said, I don't want to get involved. This is going to open a huge can of worms and I don't want to have to deal with it. Thank goodness he didn't fall into that pit of doubt. We might never have known about the Bidens if that computer shop owner had just stayed quiet, which is what corruption depends on, people staying silent. Much of the Biden family corruption and the bureaucrats who supported them, none of that would have ever seen daylight and instead just festered like a cancer behind the closed doors of silence and bureaucracy. And while we're on it, for those who say the justice system is completely corrupt and beyond repair, I agree with you. I agree that it is corrupt, but I would not say it is completely corrupt or beyond repair. Remember, any human system is at least partially corrupt or has the potential to be corrupted, because flawed humans who are tempted by any number of devices are corruptible. It is always about getting the right people into the system. One person can make the difference between a corrupt system and one who can return it to a system of actual justice for everyone. And since it is the Christmas season, remember that no human is beyond repair or beyond God's mercy and grace for redemption. And that's why even the most corrupt system can be turned around if a person in it can be turned around. Prayer warriors, that's where you target your arrows, the people in the system. Because it was only a few months ago when it looked like Hunter Biden was going to get away with it when a judge stepped up and said, not so fast, and threw out the plea deal. Now Hunter not only faces the previous corruption charges, but a dozen more have been filed, all because one judge refused to be part of the system and did the right thing. Just this one year alone, we've heard multiple times on iSpy Radio how bureaucracies and schemes and corruptions have been stopped time and again when one person steps up and speaks out and are joined by more and more just one persons. Public outcry stopped new offshore wind farms on the East Coast. They stopped existing wind companies who pulled back and canceled contracts because they see and hear the public saying no. People spoke up against Oregon's Habitat Conservation Plan, lots of one persons. That shockwave resonated and was even felt by the OSU so much that they pulled out of the Elliott Forest Research Plan. My job is to convince you that you are not alone. I know it might feel that way sometimes, but the truth is you are never just one person. There are thousands and thousands and even millions of you out there. 
Life is a series of one persons stepping up. Be that one person. I'd like to welcome Scott McEwen back to the show. He is the co-author of the New York Times bestselling book, American Sniper, the story of America's top sniper, Chris Kyle, which was later made into a movie of the same name. Scott is also the author of the Sniper Elite series of books, a young adult novel, Camp Valor. Highly recommend that one. And other novels and nonfiction works as well. Scott, it is great to talk to you. Great to talk to you guys as well. Yeah, there's so much to talk about with you. A lot of news breaking this week, uh, but a lot of it centers around Hunter Biden and the Biden crime family. On Wednesday this week, Hunter was supposed to testify before a congressional committee and instead skipped all that, but did have time to run a mini press conference on the Capitol steps where he basically whines about how how dare Republicans ask about obvious to everyone except Democrats and the media issues like uh, how corrupt his father is. He says effectively, they're picking on me to get my father, who has only spent his whole life in public service, cue the violins. So was that a smart idea or not to skip that? Well, you know, I'm, I'm going to leave that decision as far as whether it was smart or not to skip it, you know, to his attorneys. But I will say this. He wasn't going to answer any questions anyway, Mark. I mean, realistically, he's indicted right now, looking down the barrel of 15 years, you know, for the current tax crimes that, uh, you know, that they've, they've listed, albeit uh, probably one-tenth of what actually took place here, yeah. and, and the ones that they let run because of the statute of limitations. Um, but that being said, the guy was going to take the fifth either way. I, I felt as if, you know, there was some posturing here that I, I felt was uh, uh, crazy, as usual, you know, on the Hill. But you know, realistically, Hunter Biden is not going to answer any questions to anybody. That's mm. that's the bottom line, because if he does, if I was this attorney, I'd advise him highly against it because he is in jeopardy and he is going to hopefully go to jail, at least until his father pardons him, which is inevitable. And uh, and, you know, so it's uh, it's it's a situation where he's going to delay obfuscate and lie, which we've seen repeatedly by this group. So um you mentioned the pardon there. Do you think that his dad would pardon him? Absolutely. Hmm. No doubt in my mind. He, uh, you know, he, he is, he, he's pardoned all his, his acts, you know, you know, I guess, I guess as, as a side, side note, not, not officially, but he lets him get away with whatever he wants. I mean, he doesn't recognize his granddaughter. He doesn't recognize, you know, with the stripper, he doesn't recognize, you know, any of the other issues that hunters had. And he realizes that, you know, if Hunter ever was to go to trial for any of these, you know, foreign, foreign treasonous acts that he's done, he would implicate his dad in a heartbeat. Hmm. I mean, he would have to. So he's sure. never going to say a word. Sure. Well, um, I, I agree that he would certainly have to implicate his dad in all this. And, and we already know that his dad was involved in some of this just based on his emails. I'm a little less convinced that he would uh, that dad would pardon him, just um, although I'll qualify it this way is I think if Joe was had decided he was going to step down from office, then I think, yes, he would for sure pardon him. But if he's going to run again, I'm not sure uh, what happens at that point. And we know his dad obviously doesn't love him very much the way that he treats him. So what is if he's going to spend a few years in jail? Maybe he'll pardon him on the other side of the, of the next term. But anyway, we, yeah. we, we do I know. No, I don't see that. I just, I, I don't, I think at this juncture, Mark, for any of us to think that the optics that they really care about optics anymore. I mean, seriously, this bunch, they don't care what the optics are. They'll do whatever they need to do to get to whatever device you know, they, they need to get to. And, you know, and, and the public opinion be damned. Mm. I mean, that's really what we've got here. Yeah, very true. Well, we certainly know that 
putting the optics aside, we do know that you or I could not simply skip a congressional subpoena. We know that because no. Steve Bannon and Peter Navarro were both charged with contempt of Congress for defying the, the January 6th subpoenas. Uh, Navarro was arrested. Yeah, he was arrested at the National Airport with handcuffs and leg irons. Yeah, I mean, these guys, I mean, they're little pet FBI. They just call in the dogs for the, you know, for their refusal to answer a subpoena. But heaven forbid if the other side does it, it's okay. It's, yeah. it's, it's completely okay. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'd like to know why uh, testifying behind closed doors for 40 hours about the Russia collusion hoax was okay. That's okay for Don Jr., but somehow testifying behind closed doors, that's beneath Hunter to do that. Yeah, this whole thing, you know, of the Democrat two standard, they get away with it because they own the press. Yeah. I mean, Mark, yep. I mean, yep. anybody who's logical about when you see this, what goes on here, you got to be saying, what are you guys talking about? This is exactly what you guys pulled during that entire roost of the, you know, J6, yep. you know, Inquisition. Yep, and then they burn the evidence afterwards, so... All right, uh, yeah, let's yeah. go. Ahead, yeah, let's go ahead and take a break. In case you missed it, the House did vote on Wednesday to move forward with a formal impeachment probe. That means they have enough evidence already, based on previous investigations. So, what can we expect? We'll ask best-selling author and former trial attorney Scott McEwen about that next. And welcome back. This is the Ice Pie Radio Show. We're talking today to Scott McEwen. He's a former trial attorney before he stepped away from the legal world and became a best-selling author. American Sniper, the Sniper Elite series, American Commander, Camp Valor, Hell Week, and Beyond, just to name a few of those. And Christmas is coming up fast, and his books would make great Christmas gifts. And uh, so, Scott, on, on Wednesday, the House authorized a formal impeachment inquiry into Joe Biden. Not surprisingly, it was 100% partisan. 221 Republicans said yes, while 212 Democrats were opposed. So it, it's really been my take throughout life is that no amount of evidence will ever convince anyone who is determined to believe a falsehood or in this case, a Democrat to vote against another Democrat. But as that, as more and more evidence uh, becomes that much more public, especially with these new hearings, do you think that any Democrat might eventually vote for impeachment? You know, I think depending on the timing of this thing and whether Joe Biden continues in his re-election quest, which appears to be the case, I don't see any of these Democrats ever running, you know, crossing the line and, and voting against him unless he drops his, his, his run for president. And then they're going to run for, you know, for the hills as quickly as they can away mm. from them. Mm. Not that they aren't already doing that politically. They want to try and divide themselves as much as policy, as much as possible from his policies because they've been such an utter failure. Mm. Well, that's an interesting take on it. Um, yeah, that could be very interesting if suddenly Biden steps away. Um, boy, that, that could really turn all of that on its head. Um, according to Hunter Biden's mini press conference on the Capitol steps uh, in lieu of testifying, he did say that his father, Joe, was not financially involved in his business. And that seems a rather odd parsing. Do they teach lawyers how to lie in law school or is that just an art they, that they learned independently? I think it's learned, learned as you go. I'm not, I'm not <laughs> sure if it's uh, dependent on, I guess, where you went to school, but I think it's an art learned as you go. And uh, you know what I felt very interesting, too, was that word was so important, that the, the, the financial part of his, of his statement, that uh, the New York Times left it out of their article. Did yes, you see that, Mark? I did see that. I mean, what a, what a travesty. I mean, I obviously don't like the Times anyway. I have my issues with them on multiple different subjects and have had my arguments with them. You know, frankly, I guess to be full, you know, I've had some major arguments with them. But the bottom line is, 
this one is is as bad as you get. Yeah. Well, um, AOC did say that Republicans don't have any witnesses to back up their alleged allegations of Hunter Biden's financial crimes. And that, of course, is just baloney. But she did say that they have not called a single witness, a single firsthand witness to any of their allegations. And that's true. If you don't count uh, the expert testimony of uh, Tony Bublinski, his partner, Devin Archer, his main partner, yeah. IRS whistleblowers, FBI informants, bank records, and Hunter's own emails, then they don't have any witnesses. I just can't even imagine, you know, and, and, and it's really, we're in a post-truth world when you look at it, Mark. Yes, I mean, because with all, of that, with all of that testimony and the documents to back it up and the pictures and the meetings and everything else, I mean, if this were, just for a second, say that this guy's name was Gotti or something like that, they would have enough to put this guy in jail for life. There's no doubt about it, in my mind. But given the fact that they want to spend this as much as they can to protect their boy, obviously, they, you know, they, 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 choose, they, they just choose to ignore any truth out there or just not print it. Well, it's been really amazing how this has uh, evolved over time. Uh, Joe Biden himself was out there saying uh, in 2020 that he didn't know anything at all about his his son's business dealings. He had no involvement whatsoever. And then it's come out that, yes, he was involved in terms of phone calls. And now we have the bank records that show that he was profiting from all this. Um, As far as the impeachment is concerned, um, do you know what their ability is to call witnesses like, for example, the FBI confidential source? who was told by Burisma's uh, CEO himself, Zelensky, I'm sorry, that should be Zlochevsky, too many people with Zs in their names over in Ukraine, I guess. Anyway, uh, he had paid the Bidens $10 million, five, to, $5 million to one Biden and five to another. Can they call witnesses like that to those impeachment hearings? Certainly they can, as long as they have personal knowledge. Now, if, if, if it involves hearsay comments, I think they'll allow hearsay, too, in, the, in these type of proceedings, whereas in court there might be some issues whether those hearsay comments would be, you know, admissible, i.e., the statement of another to prove the truth of the matter, a fact of the matter, but uh, you know, to the extent they have personal knowledge, of course they can call them, and they will. Any chance they could get uh, Zlochevsky himself to come over? I think if if the guy would volunteer to come over, he certainly would be subject to a subpoena inside this country. Now, whether he'll do that or not, who who knows? I mean, you know, there's 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 a lot of pressure, I'm sure, being played out, particularly in light of the fact that a lot of that involves a country we're now funding billions of dollars for yeah. their, their war efforts. Yeah, uh, yeah, and Biden wants another $110 billion. It, so Peter Schweitzer, uh, who has made a career out of pursuing corruption, was on Megyn Kelly's show, I think it was Wednesday night, and he said bribes don't have to be paid directly to a public official for them to still be bribes. He said that any benefiting of even a family member is considered a bribe. So we know that Hunter was getting uh, cash. Is that your understanding of that law as well? Yes, yes, and uh, certainly, you know, the Foreign Corruption Act allows that evidence, and just because the money went directly to Hunter, and Hunter has said in writing, you know, on multiple occasions, 10% goes to the big guy, then the key is you just have to key, or I guess, put those two things together, and if, if, if he is the big guy, and he did give him money, then there you've got your evidence. Hmm. Well, uh, I'd like to read this little bit of excerpts. This is from a, uh, an FBI form, FD-1023, uh, and this is the official form that they use to document what they are told by Confidential Human Sources, or CHS. And this was something that Senator Chuck Grassley had uncovered. This CHS had told uh, Zlochevsky that due to Shokin's investigation in Burisma, which was made public at that time, 
it would have a substantial negative impact on Burisma's uh, prospective IPO in the United States. And what was going on was they were trying to buy a gas company here in the U.S. They're trying to expand. And Zlochevsky replied something to the effect of, quote, don't worry, Hunter will take care of all of those issues through his dad. Uh, the source did not ask any further questions about what uh, that specifically meant. Zlochevsky um, uh, also said that he, Burisma, uh, would likely lose the trial there in Ukraine because he could not show that Burisma was innocent. Zlochevsky also laughed at uh, the, the source's number of $50,000 uh, in terms of hire, hiring an attorney there and said that it cost $5 million to pay one Biden and $5 million to another Biden. Right. And the source told Zlochevsky that any such payments to the Bidens would complicate matters and Burisma would hire... Uh, should hire some normal U.S. and uh, oil and gas advisors because the Bidens have no experience with that business sector. Zlochevsky made some comment that although Hunter Biden was stupid and that Zlochevsky's dog was smarter, Zlochevsky needed to keep Hunter Biden on the board so everything, quote, will be okay. And then this, Zlochevsky um, appreciated the, uh, the source's advice but said, quote, that it's too late to change his decision. And the source understood this to mean that Zlochevsky had already paid the Bidens, presumably, to deal with Shokin. So that's pretty damning evidence. And if that's what they already have so far, it's going to be really astounding to see this roll forward and what else comes out. It's, it's, it's amazing. And they have the corporations. My understanding is they have the corporations that show the actual money being paid. Yes. So, I mean, you, it, it's game, set, match. If this were a regular trial, if this were a regular defendant, the, the, the story would be over. Yes, absolutely. Plus, you know, what we know that he publicly, Joe Biden being the brilliant man he is, and I say that facetiously, um, publicly boasted that he got this prosecutor in, in Ukraine fired. He wasn't going to give the money. Yep. I mean, what more do you need, Mark? Yeah. I mean, really, I mean, at some juncture, the evidence is so overwhelming. It's almost like the OJ trial, if you will. Yeah. And we all know how that first one turned out. Yeah. Well, I think if we had a signed statement from Joe Biden, yes, I did it. I still don't think Democrats would vote to convict, unfortunately. All right, uh, it's time for a break. Coming up, undeniable voter fraud. That was Scott McEwen. And welcome back. We're talking today to Scott McEwen. He's a best-selling co-author of American Sniper and has his own series of books out there. And we have all of those up on iSpyRadio.com. Just look under the store page there. And so, Scott, it's been a really busy week this week as far as news is concerned. On Tuesday, the Heartland Institute and Rasmussen released the blockbuster results of a poll which found rampant voter fraud. Mainstream media promptly and dutifully ignored it, perhaps because on Wednesday, Hunter Biden played his little stunt to thumb his nose at the congressional subpoena, which ate up all the headlines. But even if that had not occurred, I don't think that the media would have paid any attention to it anyway. The poll found that one in five mail-in voters admitted to committing at least one type of voter fraud during the 2020 election. What was your reaction when you saw that? I was shocked. And not that I was shocked in the results, but I was shocked that those people would admit that. Yes. And, and you know, and it, 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 it is astounding to me if, you know, and I'm, Rasmussen is a very respected poll. This mm-hmm. is not some biased, you know, whatever, Democrat or Republican group. This group, you know, is pretty much one of the A-list polls out there. And for them to come up with that evidence and to that strongly put it out there, that tells me that it, this is deep. I mean, this is really, really bad. And it, But, you know, by the same token, we all knew it happened, Mark. I mean, you know, it's like, you know, I don't care what anybody says. We know how much the media tamped down anything that would otherwise show how rank and out of 
out of out of uh, whatever you would say normal U.S. procedure in voting procedures. This this last election was, and the result was, you know, obviously disputed by many many people. But I will say this: if those individuals that were polled, it, you know, Rasmussen has a record of those, and if we had a real FBI and we had a real DOJ, I would be calling those people up. Yes, I, I would certainly be curious to talk to them for sure. So here are some of the main points, uh, bullet points from the poll. 21% of mail-in voters admitted that they filled out a ballot for a friend or family member. 17% of mail-in voters said they signed a ballot for a friend or family member with or without their permission. 8% of likely voters said they were offered pay or a reward for voting in 2020. But to me, this is the really big one. 17% of mail-in voters admit that in 2020, they voted in a state where they are no longer a permanent resident. So 17% of these mail-in voters voted in states in which they no longer live. I mean, that's astounding. Uh, and, and they all got away with it. No one was charged, as, as you pointed out. Yeah, highly illegal. And, uh, and obviously, it, it brings, if, if you cut all of those numbers in half, if you cut all of those numbers in half, or, or, or whatever, and given the fact that over 50% were mail-in ballots in this last election, you've got a change in, 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 the, yes. in the outcome. Yeah. I mean, that, that is just, those numbers are, are truly... Like I said, even if you cut them in half, they're, they're outrageous. Right. Well, we've had uh, elections just recently thrown out because of just a few uh, uh, ballots that, that couldn't be legitimized. According to the U.S. Census, uh, the 2020 election, there were 154.6 million votes cast. Uh, that was a uh, an increase of 17.1 million from 2016, so you know, plus 12%. According to AP, they say that 43%, so nearly 50%, used a mail-in ballot in 2020. That's uh, 66,500,000. And according to the Heartland fraud uh, investigation there, 17% of those mail-in ballots, that's 11.3 million. So that is more than yeah. enough to, to change the election. And you know the left, who want open voting like they want open borders, uh, and the media allies there, they all say that, well, whenever voter fraud comes up, it's, yeah, there's some fraud, but it's never enough to change the outcome. This is way over the top. No, yeah, it's more than, it's, it, it's astounding. That's, that is an astounding poll. If it, if, it, if it is to be believed, then we have got a problem even deeper than many of us believe we had in this last election. It, it, it goes deep, and I'm telling you, you can't run the democracy that way because, unfortunately, one side of the aisle here is much better at getting these, these mail-in ballots and these things collected than the other. And it's it and and that that that's the group that said that Joe Biden got 81 million votes. Yeah. I mean, it's just it, it's it's out of control. We must do something to save the republic. Yes. In 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 shoring up the the truth of our voting. System. Yes, uh, absolutely. And as you said, one side tends to be better at this than the other, but that's what ought to be concerning to everybody, uh, Republican, Democrat, or anybody in between, is that. Once the other side starts to figure out how to do this, they're going to cheat. And this is something that everybody ought to be concerned about. We need to have safe and fair and, and uh, election integrity here. And we don't have that, as obvious uh, from this poll. So we only got about a minute and change here with, with you. Um, in terms of Hunter going forward, the congressional investigators have emails. They've got bank records. They've got his business partner testifying against him, saying that, yes, Joe was involved in the business. They've got that uh, confidential source describing the $10 million bribe from the Burisma executive. Uh, there is overwhelming evidence here, far more than they ever had against Trump in either of his sham impeachments. And you're a writer. 
Every story, of course, has a major turning point for the character. And I think the best option for Hunter would be for him to turn on his dad and give state's evidence for the prosecution and expose the whole thing. I mean, not just Joe, but the whole deep state's takedown of Trump. I mean, he could go from villain to hero in a snap. I, I, I don't think that's what he would do, but I do think that's the one sure way he could get out of this, especially if dad won't pardon him and get some payback on a father who sounds like he was and is very abusive towards Hunter. What are your thoughts on this? Um, my thoughts on that are somewhere between a snowball's chance in hell and none. Um, you, you know, I, I'm, I'm sorry, but, uh, they are where they are. This group is deeply, deeply, you know, it's, you know, I- I involved with each other. And, uh, I think that, that what has been revealed thus far, I think it's only a, 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 a the tip of the iceberg, mm. literally 75, 80% of this stuff that really went on is even deeper than yeah. that. Oh, I mean, I, it's, yep. it's, it's, you know. And, and we've thought that from day one, Mark. I remember discussing this with you two years ago when I was on the show, or at least something like that, that, you know, it's only a smattering what we know of now. Yes. And, and what we know of now is more than enough to convict. Yeah, uh, absolutely it is. Well, uh, Scott, unfortunately, we are up against the clock, but thank you so much for your time today. Thank you so much. And, you know, and I'm really happy to see how well your guys' show is doing and you're bringing the word out there. We need more of it. You know, thank God for shows like yours and the Elon Musk and those people willing to put their personal fortunes at risk by telling the truth and i know you guys have made we have, have done extremely well by doing it but I, my hat is off to you because i'm telling you more than ever now we need a free press and we need people to talk about what's really going on well thank you thank you very much Tim Herman, General Counsel for Southeastern Legal Foundation, is joining us now. Southeastern Legal has been trying to pry Joe Biden's emails from the National Archives, emails in which he used fake names, because who doesn't do that when they're conducting fully lawful business with foreign dignitaries? Kim, welcome back. Great to be with you guys. Yeah, absolutely. So Southeastern Legal Foundation, I should mention, is a nonprofit that sues the government when it overreaches and violates your constitutional rights. And so you guys are out there really holding government accountable. And just to refresh people's memories of the timeline here, in July 2021, the Joe Biden pseudonym email addresses came to light thanks to John Solomon, the New York Post, and Senators Ron Johnson and Chuck Grassley. You guys asked the National Archives for them. They immediately stalled and said because they didn't take custody of them until January 2017 that they could not be publicly released until January 2022. You guys waited, and then after that deadline passed, you filed a, a second FOIA request for all the emails to or from three known fake email addresses, Robinware45 and JRBware, both of those at gmail.com, and Robert L. Peters at PCI.gov. Uh, the National Archives had admitted it had nearly 5,400 emails and records using those fictitious names. In August of 2023, still being stonewalled, you guys filed a motion to compel. And according to a page on Southeastern Legal Foundation, um, it says, to date, National Archives has failed to produce a single one of those emails. So I know there is a recent update with a joint report that you guys in the National Archives filed with the court. And we'll get to that in a second. But did I miss anything in there so far? No, you got the you got the entire series of what's going um, on correctly. We were forced to file this lawsuit, and they still have not produced a single document. Wow. Wow. Um, it's now been four months since we filed that lawsuit. Wow. So you guys have his email addresses. Have you just tried emailing RobinWare45 at gmail.com and ask him for their records? Could you just send we us those? We have not, but that, that, that's a pretty clever approach. Maybe we should, maybe we should give that one a go. <laughs> So on October 31st of this year, the New York Post reported that according to your joint filing, 
The National Archives disclosed that Joe Biden used those fake names to mail email up to 82,000 pages worth of private emails. And just for perspective, in eight years, there are 2,922 days, which includes two leap days. 82,000 pages, that is 28 pages worth of emails every day. I mean, did he work or was he just out there sending emails? Uh, he, he definitely was doing work, but whether it was for the government or to profit his own family is yet to be seen. Hmm. You know, Hillary had 33,000 emails on her private server before deleting them. Why didn't Joe just delete his emails? Or, or couldn't he because he used government computers to send those private emails? We don't exactly know what computers he used to send these emails, um, but we have good reason to believe that there was government information that was forwarded in these. Um, there's a few emails that have been leaked um, that came out with the Hunter Biden laptop. Now, of course, we have not verified or authenticated them, um, but they have been authenticated out there from their news reports. And it shows that he was forwarding government information, at times potentially confidential um, mm. or classified information to his son about government business. Well, Gmail is not exactly secure. I mean, how has he not brought up on charges just for that if he's sending confidential information through Gmail, of all things? Yeah, I mean, that's something that I have no doubt um, is going to be under investigation with these, um, you know, impeachment hearings and the impeachment investigation that that is to come, I would imagine. Um, all we're really trying to do here at Southeastern Legal Foundation is get these documents out to the public, right? If it's government information, then the public has a right to these records under FOIA, which is our federal statute that um, requires the government to disclose government documents to the public. And so we're just trying to get this information out there. Um, you know, what others do with it and whether or not it broke the law, that's yet to be seen. Hmm. Well, the fact that he's sending 82,000 pages of emails from alias emails, um, I asked you this last time and I don't quite remember what you said. These are just three email addresses. Do you have rumors that there are others out there? Because it seems like there was a fourth one that had been discovered. We have heard that there are potentially other email addresses out there. Now, we did not ask for those in our FOIA request, um, but I wouldn't be surprised if you go online and look through FOIAs if others have. And so um, it's been rumored that there's at least three or four other email addresses that were used. Hmm. And as far as there's 82,000 pages of emails being sent, um, do we have a sense where that fits in with in terms of other vice presidents? I mean, is it normal for a, a VP to be sending that many personal emails uh, during his time of office? Not that we're aware of. Now, obviously, we don't know what other vice presidents have done. Um, we haven't FOIA'd those records. Um, but, you know, regardless, he should never have been sending government information no. on personal email addresses to people outside of the government, no, right? I... To his son, who was doing business in these other countries where this information was about. He should have never been doing that. That is certainly questionable, if not illegal. Hmm. So you guys have a recent uh, court case that was filed here. This is a, um, a, a joint preliminary report. And as I read through that, it looks like National Archives is at least appearing to try to co cooperate. I mean, is that correct? I mean, talk to us about that joint filing. That's basically a status update for the court, isn't it? It is. We were required to um, give the court a status update. And in it, the DOJ, so the Department of Justice, who represents the National Archives, um, told the judge that they are processing the records. We have not seen any of them. 
Um, All of them have to go through a very, very lengthy delay, according to them. We are actually the ones who came to the table to reduce the number of records. Hmm. Um, We at Southeastern Legal Foundation provided a series of um, keywords, and we were able to reduce it from 5,200 emails to 3,000 responsive emails. So we are actually coming to the table to make this easier for the government to give us these records. So what was your criteria to dump so many? um, If you're only looking for 6,000 now, I mean, that's a lot to discard. What was your criteria? Yeah, so we went based off of um, news reports and information and key key personnel that we are aware of. We have been um, doing these FOIAs with respect to Joe Biden and his business um, entities and Hunter Biden's business entities for years now with John Solomon and have gained a wealth of information through that Mm. and what we've already disclosed to the public. And so just by reviewing those, we had a good idea of what may or may not be responsive and what may or may not show the corruption that we believe has occurred. And so to be clear, later on, can you expand that if, if you think, well, there's... There, okay. All right. Okay. Uh, lots more to talk about with Kimberly Herman about the fictitious emails that Joe Biden was using. More about that coming up next. Kimberly Herman is the chief counsel for Southeastern Legal Foundation, a nonprofit organization dedicated to defending liberty, suing the government for its overreaches when it violates your constitutional rights. They recently sued the National Archives to force them to release Joe Biden's emails in which he used fictitious names. And just to um, backtrack a little bit, um, you you guys can expand your request for for more documentation as you as you uncover things, correct? Yeah. So, yes. So what we're doing right now is we have agreed to say, um, you know, hey, Nara, will you guys search for these particular terms? And so it might be something like Rosemont Seneca or Burisma, right? Companies that we know Hunter Biden was involved in and that we know from other records that we've received and put out into the public, you know, he was communicating with government entities and government personnel about. We also have um, many of Hunter Biden's email addresses. And so we have said, you know, hey, Nara, any emails that Joe Biden used these alias email addresses to send emails to Hunter on these email addresses, please produce those. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, we're not trying to get to his personal emails. We are trying to get to the use of these emails to send government information because he should not have been doing that. And if he was, then they're public records. And so whether the information in these emails is benign or whether it shows something more and something questionable, that's yet to be known. But we don't know that until the emails are out there. Right. And if it's about government information, they're public records. Okay. So from that filing, it at least gives the appearance that National Archives is trying to cooperate. Are they? I mean, are, are, they, are you getting the sense that they're still stonewalling you or slow walking things? They're, they're agreeing to review the records at what we believe is an unreasonable rate. And so, you know, coming to the table and saying we can only review 500 or we can only review 600 pages of documents a month, we believe that that's unreasonable. I can tell you when I was in private practice, I would work on lawsuits that had a million documents and we could review well over a thousand to two thousand documents, documents, not pages, a day as mm. associate attorneys. Mm. And so we believe that it's unreasonable. 
just today, the judge has ordered us to brief this issue. So we have to basically put our arguments in writing and then we'll go before her in January. She has expedited this case. So she wants to hear it and rule on this quickly about whether or not they are being reasonable or unreasonable. Well, personally, I certainly think it's unreasonable because if there was, you know, there's 96 months and and eight years. Uh, if he wrote 82,000 pages, that's 854 pages per month that he's writing. So they're not even, even reviewing them as fast as Joe wrote them. That's correct. I mean, if you take the original estimate, which was 82,000 pages, and you take their original uh, review rate of 500 pages, and this isn't what they're going to produce. This is what they're going to review. It would have taken them over 10 years mm. to review these mm. records. Um and after they review them, then they have to go through a process where the former vice president and the former president and the current president and, you know, they think everyone in the world should be able to review these, review these before they produce them. And so by the time that happens, I mean, my kids are going to be out of college. <laughs> yeah, really. So who is deciding which pages are released and can you trust uh, them uh, in terms of uh, their decision making? I mean, is the White House involved or is this strictly the National Archives and or is it where a case where the National Archives takes these and then they have to run them by the White House to get approval? Well, we're really in an unprecedented territory because when you have vice presidential records um, under the Presidential Review Act, there's a, a, a series of people that can review them. And so the government argues that it, it would be the former vice president because it was their records and the current president. Well, that is the exact same person. Yeah. So normally you would have two different people reviewing these records to see if there's classified information um, or confidential information that they can't release. And here it's the same person. But what's even more interesting is that we is that the government is claiming that there's nothing classified or confidential that is marked in these. Hmm. And so it's kind of like a, a backwards looking review of it now. Um And that's, again, something very unprecedented. And so, you know, we'll be interested to see what what the judge rules here, because there really is no other case just like this to go off of. So as they're trying to slow walk these out the door, I mean, it's pretty obvious to me that that's what they're doing. Can they suddenly classify some of these as confidential or is the fact that these are personal emails sent through places like Gmail? He's already lost that chance to say that they're confidential we would argue that he's lost the chance. We're going to go ahead and see what they what they try to do. I wouldn't be surprised um, if they do try to do that. We, um, again, wouldn't be surprised if there's information that was maybe copied and pasted into these emails that was confidential or classified. Um, I have not seen that. I do not have that. I don't have the emails. Um, but, you know, when you have this this amount of emails and this this prolific use of these alias email addresses, one has to question why we're using the alias emails in the first place. Right. Well, um, and I had asked you this last time. I mean, is there any legitimate reason for Joe Biden to use fake email addresses uh, and for the Biden family business to use multiple shell companies through which to to route money and payments? I can't think of any. Uh, Have you thought any since then that, yeah, okay, I could see suddenly see why they would do this? Certainly not for the second when it comes to the shell companies. Um, And when it comes to alias email addresses, if you are emailing purely personal information, um, then, you know, do what you want on your personal time. But this is government information that has been requested here. Um, Otherwise, it wouldn't be subject to FOIA. And so in that situation, absolutely not. You're issued a government 
email address, you should be using that. Um, and then we wouldn't be going through this. There would be no issue here. It would be mm. review the documents, produce them, done. Hmm. Okay, um, let's take a break a little bit early. We will wrap things up with Kimberly Herman talking about Joe Biden using fictitious email addresses to uh, send personal information and government information possibly. In the meantime, be sure to check out their website, slfliberty.com. That's slfliberty.com. In our final segment, Alex Kim Herman, she is uh, the general counsel for Southeastern Legal Foundation, which fights to defend your constitutional rights when government forgets that it's supposed to defend your constitutional rights and instead tramples them. And uh, we've been talking with her about Southeastern Legal's foundation, uh, Southeastern Legal Foundation's fight to pry Joe Biden's emails in which he used a fictitious name from the hands of the National Archives. And uh, just to go back a little bit about this classified um, angle. Uh, because that seems to be the defense nowadays is that um, they mark something confidential and suddenly people can't see it. Given the fact that he was using these personal emails or, or at least Gmail, which is not exactly secure, if they suddenly try to say that, OK, well, this is confidential, isn't that then just a simple admission that Joe Biden was mishandling confidential information? Uh, potentially, um, yes, exactly. And that's why, you know, to this point, um, as we understand it, nothing in these emails is marked classified or confidential. That's how we understand it. Um, you know, one of the things that you have to do in FOIA lawsuits is when the government reviews all the records and then they withhold records, they have to produce what's called a Vaughn index. It's kind of a funny name, hmm. um, but it's basically a privilege log. And NARA actually produces, um, an additional document when they withhold records. And so if they say, we reviewed these 500 pages, that's all we're going to review, and that's all the court ends up requiring them, if that's what happens, and they withhold 400 of those, they have to at least say, this is why we withheld those 400. And so if it is classified or confidential, and that's why they withhold it, they will have to tell the American public that. Um, now, we are fighting to have them do that on a rolling basis every month, they want to wait until they're completely done reviewing all of these pages and all of these records. We, again, believe that's unreasonable because then you could just hold everything back sure. and then have all this information come out three, four or five years down the road when it really is irrelevant to the public at this point mm. to America. Yeah. Um, I mean, these, what's in these documents, is it's, it's consequential to what could happen next year. It is consequential to, you know, to where we are going as a nation and to everyone's, you know, confidence and faith in America and our rule of law. Hmm. Well, you're absolutely right. Uh, it is very consequential, um, especially when you look at things like the laptop story, Hunter's laptop, it, and where the mainstream media fought to withhold that from the public. And then polls came out after the election uh, where I think it was something like 19 percent of Democrats, so basically one in five, said that if they had known about that story, they would not have voted for Joe Biden. So yeah, you're right. This this is very applicable to today. As far as those emails, I just have to assume that if they were fully exculpatory, meaning that they proved that nothing uh, wrong was done, I would have to assume they, they would have already been released at this point. Is that kind of your thinking as well? I mean, I think, yeah, that that's just kind of common sense thinking, right? If there's nothing to hide and there's nothing in them, um, then why have they waited so long? Right. This isn't a case um, or a situation where we've just been waiting for four months. We filed a lawsuit four months ago. At that point, we had already been waiting for well over a year right. for these right. records. Um, and we had requested them even further back than that. And so and they've been completely dragging their feet every step of the way. 
we never even moved up in the queue so that you can mm. periodically reach out to them about a FOIA and say, where am I? You know, when are you going to look at this? We never even moved up in the line. Um, and so for them to say that there's been no stalling, for them to say that they have been working on this the whole time is completely disingenuous at this mm. point. No, Absolutely. So I had asked our, our previous guest, who is a recovering attorney, uh, about this as well. And, and Megan Kelly was interviewing Peter Schweitzer, and he said that bribes don't have to be paid directly to a public official. And he said any benefiting of even a family member is considered a bribe. And I'd like to get your, your take on that. Is that your understanding as well? Because, I mean, if so, then boom, there's your crime. Because don't we already know that Joe Biden was getting payments as a result of Hunter's uh, foreign dealings? Yes, I'm certainly no criminal attorney or white collar crime attorney. Um, I try to, you know, stick to our free speech and transparency issues. Um, but as I understand it, uh, Peter's assessment is correct. And so, um, you know, we, we have a lot of this information. Um, I would imagine that Congress has a lot of this information at this point. And so, again, we'll leave it to them to make these determinations, to do their investigation um, if Hunter will ever show up and actually testify yeah. Um, yeah. as he was supposed to. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, you can't deny what's in the documents. And so as they're tracing the bank records and we're getting these emails out to the American public, um, the truth will eventually come out. If we put it in writing, somebody's eventually going to see it. Well, in, in terms of documents, and you mentioned these the financial deals and everything, both Joe Biden and his son Hunter are attorneys. And they're getting paid, well, at least Hunter was, getting paid for these various deals. I haven't heard anyone produce yet a contract, you know, that you would think an attorney would want, a contract for the work product. Have you seen or heard anything about that? I don't recall ever seeing um, any contracts or anything like that. I know there were some government documents. We certainly released some, some key memos uh, several years ago that we obtained. But I don't recall that they were particular contracts. There may have been one or two um, in the documents we produced. but um, So I can't say with certainty, but definitely not for these companies, right? They, of course, would want everything like this to be done under the table, off the books. Um, so that people couldn't necessarily see it. But the bank records and the wires don't lie, and people way above my pay grade are tracing all of that and getting it out there. Well, I would certainly think that as an attorney, you would want to have a contract that shows your hiring agreement so that you could show that, yeah, this is totally on, on the up and up. Just real quick, you had mentioned that they're trying to withhold these things, and this could have some real ramifications. And, of course, we just had this impeachment uh, uh, they voted along a party lines to start the inquiry anyway. Does that help or could it hinder your attempts to get the same emails that they're pursuing? Um, one shouldn't have anything to do with the other, right? We have um, requested these records under FOIA. Um, they're subpoenaing them. They're, we're trying to obtain them under completely different means. Um, and regardless of what happens with that, NARA, not Joe Biden, but NARA, a federal agency, has a, a legal, you know, obligation to produce public records, and that's what these are. Yeah. Hmm. Okay, unfortunately, we are up against the clock. Kim, I want to thank you so much for your time today. Great. Thanks for having me. I started today's show talking about the impact just one person can have. As I said, we've seen it here on iSpy Radio personally, the difference so many just one persons have made this year. If you're a person who has some resources, consider supporting Southeastern Legal Foundation or CFACT or Battleground Oregon. 
All of these organizations are made up of people who are doing the hard work to expose the truth. We'll put a list of organizations who have been part of our journey this year, and we truly hope that you'll help them stay in the fight. Today's show is 13-50. This is our last live show for the year. It is Christmas time. I truly hope that you know the one person who made it happen so that every person can find their way to redemption. Because as we say every week, the best information is you no good if you don't use it. Reagan, what do you think? I do not believe in a faith that will fall on us no matter what we do. I do believe in a faith that will fall on us if we do nothing. It's more than a show. It's self-defense. The I Spy Radio Show.